This is Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., but you can call me Mr. Umstadt. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about all the very, very bad things people do on Amazon and how to protect yourself from counterfeiting, review bombing, and copyright hacking. Now, Thomas, I think we had one of one of those instances of a perfect storm, and I, I do not mean that in a good way with the episode we recently released, episode 196, what we're calling the piracy episode. Our timing probably could not have been worse. Yeah, so there was a lot of confusion on the Facebook group um, because people thought that when we were talking about how piracy can help you, we were also talking about how counterfeiting can help you. And we didn't talk about counterfeiting at all <laughs> in that episode uh, because historically counterfeiting has not been an issue for authors, for most authors, because printing books is so expensive. Uh, but with the changes of technology, print on demand, and it's a surprise I, you know, we didn't see this coming. Uh, counterfeiting is now, uh, counterfeiters can set up elaborate operations where they're counterfeiting thousands or even tens of thousands of books in paper form, uh, very inexpensively and very profitably. So we're going to explain uh, how that works and how to fight it. But first, uh, I think it's good for us to define some terms just to clear the air. So plagiarism is when they steal credit for your work and they put out your work as if it is their work. Plagiarism is always bad. Piracy is when they share for free digital copies of your work without your permission. Piracy can help you if you're just getting started, especially. It helps you become famous, and it doesn't really hurt you in any tangible way, especially in the long run. Uh, but if you don't like it, there are still tools that you can use uh, to fight it, and we talk about how and when to fight it in episode 196. Counterfeiting, though, is all about the physical um, copy of your book. It's where they make their own physical counterfeit of your paper book. They print it, they have their own cover, all of those things, and they sell it as if it is the original book. And this hurts you in several ways. It hurts you because people are paying money for what they think is your book, and that money is not going to you or to your publisher. But secondly, it hurts your reputation because the quality of the counterfeit is typically worse, sometimes dramatically worse. Some of these are just like scans where somebody put the paper book on a scanner and scanned blurry copies of the book. And it's hard to read. And that lower quality reduces people's um, estimation of you, right? It hurts your reputation when they're getting what they're expecting to be a high quality book and instead they get a low quality book. So counterfeiting is 100% bad for authors. And to go back just for a second, Thomas, piracy, we're talking about where that book is given away for free. The counterfeit is they are selling and making money that you would have made. So that's one of the major differences that Thomas and I see between the two. Right. Also, with a pirated copy, the quality is identical, right? A pirated MP3 and the original MP3 are the same. Uh, but all the people who listen to the pirated MP3, you know, come out to your concerts. It's the same with ebooks. With the counterfeited paper uh, book, uh, they don't have access to your original files, right? They don't right. have access, you know, unless they hacked you and did something really elaborate. But that's not how um, these pirates, these counterfeiters are working. From what, everything I've read, and I've done a lot of research on this, 
um, they're they are just counterfeiting the paper copy. They're not using any sort of sophisticated um, hacking to get the original files, which is really more effort than it's worth. Because when you're going to counterfeit a thousand books or ten thousand books, you want it to be as little work as possible to do uh, these counterfeited books. So you may be like, well, you know, surely Amazon is going to take care of this for me. And we should talk about what Amazon does do, because it's not like Amazon is immune or unaware of the counterfeiting problem on Amazon. But here's how they are fighting it. They're fighting it with machine learning. And when you hear their PR people talk about it, they talk a big game about machine learning and artificial intelligence. Uh, And their expectation is, is that since no one really understands what machine learning is, their eyes will glaze over and they'll assume, oh, wow, Amazon's got this handled. And then the other thing that they have are outsourced call centers uh, for that you know, handle all of the human interactions. So for Amazon, they make just as much money or almost as much money selling a counterfeited book as they do selling the real thing. So for them, there's no financial incentive to fix this. There's a reputational incentive because they don't want to have a reputation as being a home for lots of counterfeit goods. But this is where they have their B team. This is not like the uh, fighting hackers or like financial fraud where they're losing actual money. That's, you know, highly paid U.S.-based team, right? That gets all the A players. They're uh, fighting uh, counterfeiting as the B team uh, over at Amazon. In fact, they, according to the New York Times, in their most release, uh, recent financial disclosures, they said uh, they uh, counted counterfeiting as a risk factor for the first time and said it may not be able to prevent merchants from selling unlawful, pirated, or stolen goods. And you think about the reputation. It does not hurt Amazon's reputation. If you get a book and you go, wow, you know, InterVarsity Press, they really didn't, uh, that's really isn't formatted that well. And the production on the book isn't that well. They don't, the reader doesn't think about Amazon. They think about the publisher didn't do a good job. So the publisher's reputation gets hurt, not necessarily Amazon's. Which is a really good point. So it's, it's up to you to help fight counterfeiting. And it's also, it's particularly up to the publisher. But if a publisher has tens of thousands of books, you can't expect that they're keeping an eye on your book. Uh, so uh, to kind of explain how this counterfeiting works, Jim, share the, the big, because there was a big scandal that came out just in the last couple of weeks of an author who lost $200,000 worth of sales to counterfeiting. So, so what happened with that? Yeah, essentially this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, came out. It became a bestseller. It became a big book. And a counterfeiter came along and essentially counterfeited the book. And to put it in very practical terms, when you hit the buy button on Amazon and you thought you were buying the book from InterVarsity Press, in this case, you were actually buying it from the counterfeiter. And how that worked is they had a lower price than the original book, and they had Amazon do the fulfillment. So it was shipped by Amazon, but it wasn't sold by Amazon. It was sold by some third-party retailer. And a lot of these third-party retailers are very shady, right? These aren't companies that you can look up that have websites. They're all like puppets of big organizations often. And you can't find them. There's no phone number. There's no way to contact them. You have no idea who these third-party sellers are. And this third-party seller was selling these counterfeited copies um, fulfilled by Amazon. So they would ship copies to Amazon warehouses. And when you bought it, it was a prime 
book. You thought everything, unless you were paying really close attention, you thought you were buying the Prime book from Amazon from the publisher, but instead it was coming from this third-party seller selling a counterfeit uh, copy of the book. And if Amazon goes and shuts down a third-party seller, they'll just set up another one uh, because, again, there's no reputation connected. There's no website. There's no uh, people. There's some financial information. So there's a little bit of a hassle to set up another third-party account, but there are you know, millions of third-party sellers on Amazon, and there's a whole dark underworld of the sorts of things those third-party sellers are doing. Yeah, it's one of the things, Thomas, I don't think a lot of people realize that when you buy a lot of products, not just a few, many thousands and thousands of products that Amazon sells, you're not buying it from Amazon. They're simply the fulfillment house on it. Um, that's kind of a little bit of a digression, but you need to understand this the way that this works. So this is not an unordinary practice for Amazon to be fulfilling for a third-party seller. In this case, they counterfeited. They became the third-party seller to the tune of $240,000. That's a lot of books, and obviously that's a lot of money that did not go in the pocket of the publisher who took the risk on the book and the author who put the blood, sweat, and tears to produce the book. Which will affect her advances on her future books and the whole rest of the course of her career. Although, because the story is blowing up, I saw she was a best-selling book in several different categories on Amazon. So she may be getting some um, uh, return on her loss. In fact, we'll put a link uh, to um, Liturgy of the Ordinary in the show notes if any of you want to check out her book and, and give her give her a purchase to help. Give her a little support. Yeah, give her a little support because... Uh, uh, one book of the year, Christianity Today listed this as book of the year. I mean, the counterfeiters are going after books that have a lot of units moving. Uh, that's where they're you know, making the most money. Uh, sometimes the counterfeiters are even using Amazon's own uh, print on demand service. They're using KDB print to make the book or similar uh, printers. And uh, their whole strategy is to undercut your price because Amazon has a bias always towards the lower price, especially when it's assuming the quality is the same. So if they're making a counterfeit, a lower quality, lower cost book, um, they can beat you on price. So you really want to fight it. Um, so, and often it just defaults to the lower price. So what do you do about it? Hopefully we've gotten your attention, whether you're <laughs> traditionally published or independently published, this is something that you have to face. There are potentially tens of thousands of counterfeiters on Amazon counterfeiting books right now. So uh, the one thing that you want to look is see if you own your own buy button. And so how do you know if you own your own buy button? When you go the default buy button, right? Because there's always a bunch of third-party sellers and a lot of them are legit, right? If the you know, third-party seller is Goodwill of Spokane, Washington or Half Price Books of Austin, Texas, right? You know, okay, I, it's very obvious. One, it's a real company that's a third-party seller and it's pretty obvious where they got the copy of their book. Somebody read your book and donated it to Goodwill or they sold it to Half Price Books and now they're selling it online. That's a legitimate use of a third-party seller and that shouldn't go away. I'm not against third-party sellers. Creating an ecosystem uh, for an aftermarket for paper books helps, you know, book publishing in general, right? That's a, that's a very valuable thing for everyone involved. It's even about valuable for the author because it makes those paper books more valuable if somebody buys it and knows they can resell it. Um, so it, it helps the book maintain its value. Um, but if they're selling a new copy of your book and they're sketchy, you should be suspicious. So go to your book page 
and anyone who looks suspicious, buy a copy of their book. So not from the Goodwills and the half-price books, but from the all the kind of sketchy, who are you type companies, buy a, an actual copy of your book and take a look and compare the quality. And you want to particularly look at the default buy button and see if it says ships and sold by Amazon. If it says ships by Amazon sold by HKY Books, Inc., you're like, who is HKY Books, Inc.? I've never heard of them. There is a potential that you have been losing money to counterfeiters on your book pages. So go right now and check your Amazon book pages to see if when they buy the book, it's, it's coming to you. You can also just see if, you know, you're making money, right? If somebody's buying your book, if you're actually, if it shows up in your sales reports. Uh, so check those third-party sellers, and every once in a while, just check in, buy the book uh, from these third-party sellers, and they, you can resell these books. If, if it turns out this is a legit brand-new copy of your book, you know, next time you're at a book signing or you're speaking somewhere, you can sell that book um, and probably you know get your money back at least, maybe even make a profit depending on what the book is priced at because people are happy when they buy the book from the author in person to pay full price, and hopefully you're getting the book at a discount uh, and you know, you're getting free shipping, et cetera. Um, now there are some things that you can do to uh, avoid this in the first place, but they're all awful. So one is to write an unpopular book. <laughs> yeah. That gets, so it gets no attention. If your book isn't selling well, no attention, no problem. Right. So that's the first thing, but we don't recommend that. In fact, that's not the official marketing novel marketing advice. No. Uh, the second way is to lower the price of your book. Uh, the lower the price of your paper book, the less appealing of a target you are. But again, I still don't recommend that. Uh, it's better to police it and report. If you do find that it's fraudulent, you want to report abuse. There's a report abuse buttons all over Amazon. It's very easy to flag sellers for being fraudulent. Now, Again, when you flag a seller's being fraudulent, it doesn't go to Amazon's A team. It goes to their outsourced teams around the world. Um, and so just realize they may or may not do anything about it. Uh, if we keep the pressure on Amazon and, you know, the New York Times is covering this and Christianity Today is covering this, like it's getting some good coverage in um, print media. I don't know if it's getting good coverage in television, right? I don't know if this has made CNN. I don't know if it's made Fox News or MSNBC. I don't know if cable news is picking it up or national news is picking it up, at least here in the States. So that is counterfeiting, but that's only one kind of attack that you can face on Amazon. There are other kinds of attacks that you can face. And I will say the other areas of Amazon are much more sophisticated in how they use Amazon, both for good and for evil, than uh, publishing. Book authors are not as um, sophisticated and they're not as aggressive with each other as, say, uh, cables for iPhones, right? Like an iPhone charging cable. There's maybe a million dollars of iPhone charging cables sold every week on Amazon, and there's a like cutthroat business to see who can sell those cables because um, it's a really high margin business. You buy the cable for five bucks on Amazon, it costs 20 cents to make that cable in a factory in China, and everyone wants to sit on that margin. So they're ruthless. But we're going to share some of the techniques that they use against each other. Some of them don't apply to authors. So the classic one is you buy 
cable from your competitor. You set it on fire. You say this cable is a fire hazard. You post a photo of it burning on Amazon with a verified purchase. And then suddenly that cable gets pulled, right? That 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 is not a problem with books, right? No one's going to be like, this book is a fire hazard. And authors don't use that strategy. Uh, but they do use a technique or they can use a technique called review bombing. So there's two ways to do this attack. One is where a competitor hires trolls and there's whole Facebook groups full of trolls who will buy verified purchased copies of your books and then leave reviews. And um, the kind of one strategy is to leave lots of negative reviews, but there's actually a more advanced version of this attack where they leave only five star reviews. You're like, well, why would my competitor leave me five-star reviews? Why would that be bad? Well, then they report your product as having fraudulent reviews because it's got all of these five-star reviews. And then um, Amazon cracks down on your entire book because you've been buying fraudulent reviews. It takes away your rankings. It may hide you from search and your sales just vanish. Really bad. So what do you do about it? Well, one is you click report abuse under reviews that you expect to be fraudulent, especially the fraudulent five-star reviews. You want to report those specifically as abuse uh, to keep your reviews clean. And when you ask your fans uh, to leave your reviews, don't ask them for only five-star reviews. Some authors actually review bomb themselves, right? They get their launch team to write them exclusively five-star reviews, and it makes their book look very suspicious. Um, But if you're trying to take a specific review down, uh, you can also ask your fans uh, to click report abuse under that review as well. Um, But now, if if they're hitting you with one-star reviews, one strategy is to just do nothing. Because a few obviously bad and obviously fake one-star reviews actually boost sales, not helping sales. Uh, The more um, vicious version of this attack is the five-star bombing. Uh, you don't want you, you want your reviews to look real. And you don't want them to look obviously like fake teeth. <laughs> so uh, you want realistic looking dentures when it comes to your reviews. All right. So the next attack, and this is again, another attack that's more common amongst products and it's a trademark attack. So let's say you have a store name or a publishing company name. If you're an author and you have not filed the trademark on that store, somebody else can file the trademark on that store and then uh, appeal to Amazon saying, hey, you are violating my my trademark that I filed on your name. And Amazon will look to see if they have the trademark filed with the government. And if they say, oh, yes, this person has the government trademark, they will take all of your product sales away and give it to the other person who has the trademark on your product. And this happens. (laughs) It's really bad. Uh, And suddenly, uh, they're the ones who are ranking for They're the ones who own the buy button, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, There's also potentially ways of doing this with copyright, where they claim to have the copyright on your book. And here's what happens is that no one takes this to court because it's $100,000 for a court case. So all of the judicial processing effectively happens with Amazon, with these outsourced teams of people who speak English as a second language, and you're appealing to them. There's actually a whole business of like Amazon lawyers to help you deal with the Amazon court system because they've effectively set up their own government within a government. So it's very hard to fight when somebody is attacking you this way. It can be very expensive. The better things are to protect yourself. So how do you protect yourself? Um, If you're an independent publisher and you have a publishing company name, consider filing a trademark on the name of your publishing company, especially if you're using it 
predominantly throughout Amazon. Uh, just to keep somebody else from taking that publishing company name and attacking you um, with a trademark hit. Uh, it, it, they can't take away your right to use your own name. Uh, so you don't have to like trade. If you're Joe Smith, you don't have to trademark Joe Smith, right? You have the rights to your own name. Uh, and also uh, book titles are not trademarkable, generally speaking. Uh, some, that's not always true. And there was a big scandal. Somebody was trying to um, trademark some terms that they were using as a branding element in their um, books. And there was a big scandal about it. We were not going to go into that. Um, I'm not talking about using trademarks as a predatory thing to knock down other authors. What I'm talking about is using trademarks as a way of protecting yourself from somebody else knocking you down. Um, you could follow a trademark and try to knock down other authors. And I think that's a really obnoxious thing to do. Just create your own stuff and let other people create their own stuff and let the best stuff win. <laughs> that sounds awfully fair, Thomas. I, I, that's, that's my position on this. Um, so uh, file a copyright with the United States Copyright Office. You don't have to do this. Technically, if you write down a poem on a napkin, it's copyrighted to you. But filing with the U.S. Copyright Office or your national equivalents, if you're in Canada, you file with the Canadian uh, Copyright Bureau or whatever it's called in Canada or whatever other nation. Most nations all have treaties where they recognize each other's copyrights. So you don't have to file it in a bunch of different countries. You only have to file it in your own country, which makes it really nice for you. And it's not filing copyright is not very expensive. Um, I think it's less than $100 uh, to file a copyright. Trademarks are much more expensive. Uh, but filing a copyright, registering your copyright is uh, relatively inexpensive. And what that will do is it creates a record at the government that you own the copyright to this so that you can more easily claim uh, the copyright rights. If, if, if it gets down to a fight, because often what will happen, and I've, I've talked with authors who have had this, um, authors will upload their book to Amazon and Amazon will tell them you don't have the copyright to this book. You have to prove to us you have to ha you have the copyright and if you don't do it in 48 hours, we're freezing all of your um, book sales across all your other books, right? As Amazon can do lots of really scary things. And so if you have that document from your government that you can scan and send them, it goes a long way of getting Amazon off of your back. So this is the downside of giving Amazon all the power. Amazon now has all the power and it's their court systems, not the government court systems. Like, I don't know if we realize this, but our governments are now weaker in many ways than these corporations that we don't vote for. Um, they're the ones who have a lot, much more control over what we say, right? Our freedom of speech is now controlled by corporations, not by governments. Right? What you can and cannot say online is controlled by corporations. And often how you make money, like your commercial freedom is controlled by these corporations as well. Um, it's a strange world <laughs> we've moved into and how co powerful these, these corporations have, have become in terms of our personal liberties. Well, you know how we think about the IRS uh, for <laughs> forever. People have thought about the IRS of, oh, my gosh, they have ultimate power. They have ultimate control. They can make all these decisions, and it's difficult to appeal, and people have this reverence bordering on, fe bordering on fear of the IRS. Well, reading this article and realizing, as you said, Thomas, Amazon is its own jury, judge, and sentencing machine, and some of the companies that have gone through just hell trying to get the truth about what really happened out there. Not easy. Some people in this article that Thomas and I read, they actually flew to Seattle to talk to a human 
about this or talk to somebody that English is their first language that really can make a change. And all they got was the number that they'd been calling for weeks and getting no response from. So it's, it, it is a little scary. And, and so I guess what we're saying is it is worth taking a little bit of preventative medicine. And we'll link to the articles, we'll link to the New York Times article uh, that's covering the counterfeiting issue more broadly. We'll link to the Christianity Today article it's talking about this most recent one. It's pretty big numbers, uh, $250,000, $240,000 is not small change. A lot of authors would love to have that, those kinds of sales. Um, and the way imagining that siphoned away is, is really hurtful. Um, and we'll also link uh, to some other articles that are talking about what's happening in the other industries. Because if it's happening in USB chargers, you know, in 2019, it may start happening in books in 2020. So you want to understand kind of what the future attacks are, where they're coming from, and how to protect yourself. So we'll have links uh, to those articles in the show notes, which you can find at novelmarketing.com forward slash 198 for episode 198. Speaking of which, episode 200 is coming up. We have a really exciting gift uh, for all of our patrons uh, when episode 200 releases. And um, so stay tuned for that. And speaking of patrons, Jim, who's our featured patron today? Our featured patron today is C.L.R. Peterson. She has written a book called Lucia's Renaissance. Heresy is fatal in late Renaissance Italy, so only a suicidal zealot would so much as whisper the name of Martin Luther. But after Luther's ideas ignite a young girl's faith, she must make a choice abandon her beliefs, or risk her very life in the turbulent world of late 16th century Italy. C.L.R. Peterson, thank you so much for being a patron. And if you'd like to check out the book, the link will be in the show notes. And our sponsor today is the five-year plan to becoming a best-selling author. If you feel like you are spinning your wheels in your publishing journey, uh, spending time on things that ultimately are not panning out, this is the course for you. It walks you through the first uh, five years of your publishing journey. And if you're willing to do the work, and there is work here, this is not a easy get rich quick scheme. Uh, but if you're willing to do the work, you are guaranteed success uh, because we show you exactly what to work on and what not to bother with yet. It's step by step. And we get just incredible feedback uh, from the students going through this course. In fact, we just got another message a few days ago from a uh, a student who is going through it and is just loving it because it allows you it's it's while it is work, it's work with less stress because it's only working on what matters right now with wherever you are in your writing career. Uh, you get access to all five years right away. So if you want to hustle and do it faster, you can do it faster. If you want to take it slower, you can take it slower. If you want to skip the first year, you can skip the first year. And if you want to save 50% on the course, you can by being a novel marketing patron. All patrons save 50% regardless of what patron level you are at. You can find out more about the five-year plan and about becoming a patron at novelmarketing.com. This has been James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you so much for listening.